Flight attendants, please prepare for takeoff. Stolen by Ehlers to Wheeler, back to Ehlers, scores! Kyle Connor has the Midas touch right now! And another outstanding stop by Connor Hellebuck! Check the shoot! Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. I'm your host, Tyler Esquivel, joined alongside with 680 CJOB's Paul Edmonds and Jets TV's Mitchell Clinton. Gentlemen, we'll jump right into it. Paul, we have uh, 11 games under our belt here in Winnipeg. Uh, what have you seen from the team so far? Um, what are the things that they're doing well? What can they improve upon? Well, I think that that's a pretty broad-based question, but I'll try to <laughs> narrow it down, Tyler. Well, It starts in goal for me, and when you look at the record at 7-3-1, and one, there's nothing wrong with this team right now. Yeah, they would like to probably have that game against Vancouver back, but that comes off a bit of a break, and I know we'll discuss that a little bit later in the podcast. But it starts in goal, and it's Connor Hellebuck, and now 153 wins and a franchise record. We'll discuss that as we go along. But just making the routine save. Same with Lauren Brossois. And then at the same time, when you need the timely save, they're delivering that as well. And I think that defensively, because the Winnipeg Jets have gotten stronger in the middle, that that's helped everything inside their own zone. When we talk about being de- better defensive in terms of a team, we always think of the defenseman, right? Well, no, it's a five-man unit, and they've gotten better overall at that game. And that game doesn't necessarily mean that you're playing it inside your own blue line. That can be how you offensively attack the team inside their zone and control the puck or between the blue lines. So I think the Winnipeg Jets, it's a work in progress. It will be for a while, but they have gotten better incrementally in various aspects of the game. And I think that you've got a little bit of size now in Forbert on the back end and Beaulieu, and now Logan Stanley has emerged. So it's a little harder for the opposition to get to some of those other areas. You're guarding your net a little bit better. And when the Winnipeg Jets collapse down and block as many shots as they did a couple of games ago against Calgary, 24, that tells you, that number tells me that you are in the right spot positionally inside your own zone and that you're in the lane where they're shooting from. Those are two things that Paul has talked about as well. You limit the high danger chances when you do and you don't give up those slot shots. So overall, I think the seven, three and one record Tyler is a byproduct of this team just being better overall at the defensive game. Cause we always knew the offensive game has been there for the last handful of years with this group. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about, Paul Maurice mentions all the time, you know, the the games are in blocks. And I think when you look at the season as a whole, Mitchell, the, the page is turning here. We're turning the chapter. Now we add Pierre-Luc Dubois to the mix here in Winnipeg. Um, it looks like he's going to be slotted in the middle uh, to start. Uh, he practiced for the first time on Sunday afternoon at Bell MTS Place. Uh, what did you make of his practice? And, and what do you think of the line combinations that Paul Maurice has rolled out? Well, I'm ready to define him as a player after one practice. That's how I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> no, he, uh, you know what? He, he fit in quite well, I thought. I mean, I, one of the questions that I asked him during his availability was just, you know, you've been watching this team uh, on video for the past couple of weeks. What, like, is there a part of the game that stands out that, you know, you see as a player that, you know, I can fit into this system? And he said, absolutely. Like, this is a team that's big. He's a 
he's a big guy. He can move and he can, and he's got a lot of skill. I mean, that's pretty much the Winnipeg Jets to a T. Uh, so he's going to fit right in. And like he talked about how he thinks Kyle Connor, who was on the, his left wing is one of the more underrated players in the national hockey league. Um, so number one, you got that on your left wing and then you look over on your right wing. He said, Trevor Lewis has been a guy that, you know, he's asked a lot of questions of about systems and where to be and how to do things. And, um, but he, he kind of described the whole dressing room as really welcoming and he's had a great time being able to meet these guys and just hang around the room with them as opposed to even just being on the ice with them. So I thought that was a good sign. And, you know, he's going to get some uh, power play time. It looks like on the second power play. Um, but just in talking, like, especially, uh, and Paul kind of touched on this, he's also a guy that's going to give you a lot of options and be good defensively. I mean, there was a lot of talk about analytics and how much to really lean into those uh, over the last week. But Pierre-Luc Dubois is a guy that ends up on the positive side of that ledger pretty much every year that he's been in the National Hockey League. And a lot of it is he generates more high danger chances than he gives up, which is also right down the, the line of what the Winnipeg Jets want. So, I mean, this is a guy that <laughs> you look at the center depth on this team right now, and it's nuts. Shifley, Stastny, Dubois, Lowry. Then you got Andrew Cobb, who's more than capable of playing center. Jansen Harkins, who's hurt, was getting a look at center. You got David Gustafson still available as well. Like this, it just gives Paul Maurice a whole bunch of options. And Pierre-Luc Dubois said himself, you know, he got it from his dad, Eric, uh, obviously an assistant coach with the Manitoba Moose that, you know, if you can play a number of positions, which Pierre-Luc Dubois can, it just gives a whole bunch of options for Paul Maurice. And I mean, if you're Paul Maurice right now, looking down at that lineup card, you got to be real happy going into the next big chunk of games that the Jets have. Obviously very exciting to see how that all plays out. Another thing that I, I'm wondering how it exactly plays out is Tucker Pullman returns to practice as a full participant on Sunday at Bell MTS place. Paul, you know, Logan Stanley has done everything and more of what has been asked of him when he comes into the lineup here for the first time as an NHLer. Uh, and now you're in a situation where in a couple of days here, Tucker Pullman's probably going to be you know, chomping at the bit to get back into some NHL game action. What does Paul Maurice do going forward with this situation? I think this is another one of those problems that you're happy to have, essentially. Well, you always have to remember the old adage, and that is that a veteran is not going to lose his job because of injury. And I think that that's sort of where we have to chalk this up. That falls under the heading of injury, right? Tucker Pullman on Sunday was talking about the fact that it's been a process for him. It feels like another training camp. I don't think he's quite ready to go maybe to make a game for Tuesday against Calgary to finish off the four-game series. So that buys the Jets. Another 48, 72 hours, there'll be a travel day on the Wednesday coming back from Alberta. So the next time that you maybe have to worry about that would be Thursday against Ottawa. But it's going to be awful tough to try to mix and match here uh, because everybody's playing so well. Having said that, Tucker Pullman does get back into the lineup. So the easy guy to fall out, and it's not easy to make this decision, is probably going to be Logan Stanley, who has been exceptional. And I think far reached anybody's expectations of what he was going to deliver this year. The size, the skating ability, the positional play, the wrist shot. I mean, I don't know that any of us really talked about one of the assets that he had, aside from his physical stature, as being this quick little snap wrist shot that has great velocity and puck flight on it from the point and the poise that he has as well. He's probably the odd man looking in when you get Tucker Pullman back. But Tucker Pullman, by his own admission on Sunday, 
was sort of saying that he's getting back to being 100%, but not quite there yet. So you want to make sure that he is ready to go. There's no lingering effects of, you know, going through another training camp or, or having anything that might be construed as a bit of a breathing problem from COVID or any COVID related sort of latent effects of, of having that virus. Right. So that's the easy sort of slot for me as he goes in and then Logan Stanley probably comes out to answer your question succinctly, Tyler. And then you maybe mix and match your pairings again. Although they did like what they saw from Bull, and Morrissey and Forbert and Bianca pretty good. So is it DeMello? Uh, I don't know because you've got two righties there. So maybe somebody factors back up and you could see a return of the Bull, and the Pullman and DeMello and Morrissey. We'll see how that unfolds, but you've got to get Tucker Pullman back in the lineup first. Logan Stanley would be the odd man out, unfortunately, because he hasn't played his way out of the lineup. It's just a matter of numbers right now. Absolutely. And and the thing that struck me most about Tucker Pullman's availability today was that it, it was COVID first and safety first here. We're, nobody's rushing anybody back in the lineup. And I think that's probably a little bit due in part to the fact that the defensive core has played very well up to this point as well. So it definitely helps. Uh, Connor Hellebuck setting the new franchise record for wins by a goaltender. I believe that number is 154. Four, 153. three, one fifty-three, one fifty-three. Um, you know, what have you seen from Connor Hellebuck this season, Mitchell? He's looked real strong in there. Yeah, uh, just a kind of a, a, a carry on of what he's been able to provide the Winnipeg Jets for a while. And and Paul kind of mentioned it right off the top of the pod, like you know, the seven-three and one record the Jets have starts between the pipes. And Connor Hellebuck's been been real good. I thought, and this is from a a non-goaltender uh, set of eyes. But I thought he looked his absolute best uh, in that game that got him the 153rd win against the Calgary Flames. You know, he was uh, made 23 stops, I believe, on 24 shots, uh, just but was just so solid. And it looked, as Paul Maurice likes to say, just looks looked quiet. Everything that looked that is actually really tough, he just made it look real easy. And he made a couple of big stops. The one that always stands out to me is the one on Dylan Dubé right off the right early in that first period uh, on a partial break that he just snared it out of the air with his glove and just kind of, that's a message to the team. Like I got you guys here. And then, you know, yeah, one gets by him in the final minute of the, uh, of the first period, but the Jets offense takes over and then nothing was getting by Connor Hillbuck the rest of the way. So um, I think what we've seen from him is just a continuation in that maturation process that he's talked about. You know, there was obviously the year where he learned how to be a starter in the national hockey league. Then he, you know, was a finalist for the Vezina Trophy, then had a year that, you know, he wasn't particularly proud of. There were things that he wanted to get back to the drawing board on for 2019-20. Came in, won the Vezina Trophy in 2019-20, which I think that also presents another challenge for him is how do you, you know, come back that following season? Um, and I think he's answering those questions uh, really well right now that, you know, he worked on in the offseason those chances that – you would think the advantage goes to the shooter to try to be even better in that regard. Um, just two on ones and rush chances. So he's been working on that, but then also staying true to his fundamentals. The amount of times that he's on the ice early with uh, Wade Flaherty and, and Lauren Brassois going through just little technique things just to make sure that those are still sharp. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a regular on the ice before practice even starts. So what I've seen from him, just a whole lot of work and a whole lot of big and boring as he likes to say. 
One of the interesting things that you mentioned there is the fact that, you know, he has to follow up that Vesna Trophy season. And the, the first time he was nominated for the Vesna Trophy, his season the next year didn't start probably the way he had wanted it to. But I think he's got things on the rails as he's coming off the actual Vesna win this year. Uh, OK, let's get to our guest here. It's uh, Ray Newfeld. Jamie had a chance to sit down with the Jets alumni. Uh, they talked about a bunch of different topics, including uh, being a black hockey player in the National Hockey League. Uh, let's hear that conversation now. Hi, this is Mark Shifley, and you're listening to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Pleased to welcome Ray Newfeld to the podcast. Uh, Ray, how are you doing these days? Oh, doing very well, thank you. Uh, we've been uh, keeping a very tight, uh, a tight bubble, not uh, not venturing out too much, and uh, spent most of uh, most of the time up here at our lake home in in. Uh, in just outside of Kenora. So it's been great. Yeah, we're, we're safe and everything's good. <laughs> uh, how, like as a former hockey player, how strange has it been to watch the National Hockey League uh, maneuver their way through something that hasn't had to do with the collective bargaining agreement or scheduling? This is this must be something to watch from the outside. Well, it really is. I mean, just that whole uh, playoff structure and how they had to, uh, you know, I mean, come together as a group and figure out how they could get the playoffs done and a lot of coordination and uh, a lot of understanding by the players, I'm sure, and, and management as well. But I thought they did a great job of that. And thankfully, everyone got through it safe. And uh, and from a fan perspective, we were able to watch uh, great hockey and not probably not quite as, as up to par as normal hockey would be, but uh, as good as it could be under the circumstances for sure. Have you ever imagined having to be in a bubble like that for two months without your family and friends? That, that must have been something for the guys that were there that long. Oh, gosh. I mean, uh, just all the staff, everyone involved, but certainly players. I mean, uh, just to be in that in that environment and, and you know, really being so uh, protected, if you will, and not, not giving mm -hmm. a lot of opportunity to just venture around and do what they normally would do. Uh, you know, and I think the families, not being around your families. I know as a player, that's that's always important. You want to be be close to family and uh, get lots of encouragement through that. So, uh, you know, it would have been a trying time, difficult, but I'm, I'm sure once they got on the ice, it was all business as usual. I imagine like if that would have happened when you played Ray, like you, you, the Jets were a pretty tight-knit group. That that would have been pretty good in, from that situation, would it not? Well, for sure, from a team perspective and players. I mean, it's always fun to be around the, the, the boys, you know, if you say, <laughs> whether you're in the locker room or traveling or whatever you're doing. But, uh, you know, it's also nice to get away sometimes. So ships <laughs> grow stronger sometimes when you have a little bit of separation. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, we were, we were close as a group in Winnipeg. I mean, uh, it took a bit. The first first year was a little challenging, but after that, certainly I felt uh, I felt real comfortable there, and a lot of great friends, and still have many today. Um, let's go back a little bit. Thirty five years already now since you were traded back to your your the, your hometown team. Uh, what were the emotions like? And if you can take us back to then to to be back in Winnipeg with with your family and friends nearby. Right. Uh, you know, the, I still remember the, the night I got, I was told I got traded. So, I mean, I got asked to come up to the coach's room. Uh, we were in Philadelphia at the time, and the team actually knew something was up. We just didn't know which player was going to get moved. 
but we sort of sensed they were there was something in the works. I mean, uh, sometimes you get those feelings as players, and and uh, I remember going up to the coach's room, and he, you know, he, he reluctantly told me I'd been traded, and and then I asked him, I said, well, where did I get traded to? And he said, Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I, I didn't know. I didn't know how to react. Really, I wasn't sure if I was excited because I was going home or just bummed out that I got traded. But uh, you know, so I had mixed emotions for sure. I called my wife, and you know, that's always challenging. But uh, you know, coming home to my hometown and uh, or home area. I mean, I grew up in in Winkler, Manitoba, and uh, right. and played all my winter hockey there. So uh, so from that perspective, it was good. Uh, but overall, the trade that first year was 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 challenging. There was lots going on in my life at that time, uh, for sure. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much I, I could get into in respect to that. But when I, I did get traded to Winnipeg, there were a lot of things personally happening in my life. And, and when the trade yeah. happened, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> there was some trying times there, just to, to say the least. Yeah, I guess when you when you look at it, Ray, like players today even talk about the distractions of being at home and so close to family and friends you're going through a personal struggle being close to family and friends could could be bad and good right well that's a great great way to put it i mean uh i mean i'll I'll bring you back so part of my challenge is where i I like to have good times and i like to drink so i definitely in today's nhl you know you know, they would deem it as, hey, you know, go to some, probably some treatment center, get yourself figured out. And and so it was, you know, we were in the Chicago airport. I had been sober for 70 days, hadn't had a drink. And uh, and, and we were sitting there and, and, and Howie, Ducky says, hey, let's go for a beer. So me, Mac, and, and Paul McLean uh, and uh, Glenn Ashton went and had a beer. And I hadn't had mm-hmm. a drink for 70 days. I sort of tipped my wagon. And when as soon as I got home, when you mentioned friends, that's exactly what happened. I gravitated to friends that like to have a good time. And I spent the first probably two weeks in Winnipeg just, you know, out and about mm-hmm. and, and and not really too focused on hockey. So, uh, you know, thankfully, uh, teammates sort of set me on the right path and sort of woke me up and said, hey, Ray, you know, like, you know, you got to get some things figured out here. So uh, uh, that put me on a, on a good path. Uh, you know, I started talking. I, when that happened, I... I've called my wife and, and, and it's interesting. And I told Don, you know, sorry, Don, I, I, you know, I fell off the wagon. I started drinking again. Right. And that sort of put her back and she said, well, have, have fun in Winnipeg. And, and uh, she wasn't going to come. So it, that whole process sort of got my thinking uh, on the right track. And I knew I had to mm-hmm. get my family back together and, and, uh, and, and thankfully I was able to do that. She came, joined me in Winnipeg and, and in Winnipeg, I met two of the best people I've ever, you know, I I, I can, can't say enough about it. I mean, Lori Boschman was a huge impact on my life with the Jets and, mm-hmm. and and got my life back together from a faith perspective. And and uh, it really turned the corner. I mean, for me, it, it was a, a big, uh, a big uh, step forward in the right direction. Uh, clearly with the program and the steps, uh, Ray, like in AA, it's all about your higher power. So it's almost like a higher power directed Lori Boschman towards you. Is that, is that the best way to put it? Well, yeah, you can see that. I mean, my faith, uh, as a, as a young, young man, I grew up in Winkler and, uh, you know, certainly I had a faith, uh, 
I you know, mm-hmm. went to church, uh, was a believer in, 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 in my Lord and Savior, but I wasn't living that lifestyle. So when I reconnected with Bosch, I mean, such a strong believer, strong Christian, and such a man mm-hmm. of character. Uh, and, and we just spent a lot of time. For me, it was an escape. I didn't have to go out all the time with the boys and, and, and feel that I had to drink. Lori wasn't a drinker. Doug Snail wasn't a drinker. So I had I had ability to just uh, hang out uh, with guys that was were, were and not saying the rest of the players were out drinking all the time. I'm not saying that, yeah. but you know, guys picked their spots, had their they had their fun, and I didn't have to participate in that part of it. I could just play hockey and 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 be around the guys that way. And and so Lori and I be, developed a great friendship and spent a lot of time just sharing, uh, you know, stories and 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 he reflected a lot on on his faith and and that certainly. Uh, propelled me back to a, to a life of faith and, and a life of belief in, in my Lord and Savior. And it really changed things, and uh, certainly with my family. So when I look back on, on this whole thing, coming to Winnipeg, being traded for yeah. the most popular player on the Jets, maybe other than Dale Howarchuk, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, uh, it was a blessing in disguise, really, to come to Winnipeg. It, it did a lot of right things for my life, which, which I'm happy for today and grateful for sure. How emotionally taxing was it the trade with uh, for David Dave Babbage, right? A very popular player, as you just mentioned. That must have been very tough. Uh, it wasn't a popular trade at the time. Um, so, how did you maneuver your way through that? Oh, that that was a challenge, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, when I look back on it now, you reflect. You know, years go by, you think through things. I mean. Um, he was a popular player, but not to mention just popular. He was a very, very good hockey player and uh, had a tremendous career. And I knew Dave, you know, we played junior in the same all-star tournament together. I knew the type of person he was. And he's just a terrific guy. And, and he was so well-liked in, in, in the dressing room. So, you know, the players were really disappointed. Um, mm-hmm. Not so much that I was coming to Winnipeg, just that they were losing a friend and a teammate that they really, really appreciated. So, so that made the dynamics a little bit challenging in the beginning, for sure. And and it didn't really matter where I went. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't. I always got asked the question, you know, how what was it like to get traded for Dave Babich? And and, and that wore on me over time. It certainly no did. question. I mean, uh, I was a pretty good player. I mean, uh, I think the Jets knew what they were getting, a 25-goal score, an up-and-down, bang-and-crash-type winger. Uh, uh, you know, but when I reflect back on it today, if I were to ask any general manager in the National Hockey League, would you trade for a 25-goal score, right, uh, and, and trade your best defenseman on your team for that type of a player? And I think I think many of them would say, well, Probably not. Uh, <laughs> under the circumstances, you know, they more than likely wouldn't have made that trade. So a lot of times people say, well, who else was involved in that trade? Was it a one-for-one Babbage for Newfeld, or was there more? And and I sort of felt the same way. What else did the Jets get in that trade? Unfortunately, I was the only one, so I couldn't deflect it. Uh, I had to just live live that life and get through it and and it was it was challenging. The first year was really difficult, but it got better as time went on. And and I really enjoyed my time in Winnipeg. I really did. Um, your experience as a black athlete in the National Hockey League when there wasn't a lot of black athletes. Uh, <laughs> today, that's a really sensitive topic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it it I mean, sure is. Yes, yeah. yeah. No question. I mean. 
I don't know. I never, I never looked at it uh, that way. It was always mm -hmm. uh, media and people that brought that up. Like, oh, so you're a black hockey player. How does it feel to be a black hockey player in the NHL? I always looked at it. How does it feel to be a hockey player in the NHL? I was living my yeah. dream. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. It was something that I, I just wanted to do as a kid, to just play play at that level and be able to play. I, I don't think ever in my life I looked at myself as as being a black player and, and I was just a player. And, and, and the great part about it is, you know, you have teammates, guys you grew up with, uh, people you uh, played with and against. I mean, but you were always playing for the team that you were on. So when you put that Jersey on, you know, we were all focused on the same thing, try to win that hockey game. And, and, and I don't think, you know, color ever came into it. I, I don't recall ever, I mean, there are stories where myself, I'm as guilty as anybody of saying things uh, to other players that maybe I shouldn't have said, you know, but in the mm -hmm. heat of the battle, things happen and, and you say something, but you never hold those grudges or regret. I mean, so, and amongst my teammates, they were all so good to me. Uh, I, I can't ever experience or, or remember a time where, where a teammate, uh, you know, said something derogatory or, you know, use the N word towards me or anything like that. They were always uh, respectful for sure. So uh, I don't have a lot of negative experience. Uh, I was just excited to be an NHL player, excited to be achieving my dream and playing in, in the greatest league in the world, the hockey, uh, hockey league in the world. So uh, I was pretty thankful for that for sure. Uh, on that note, Ray, what do you think of the Startup Hockey Diversity Alliance? Uh, again, that's uh, an interesting, uh, I mean, these guys have, I mean, how, how would I best say this? Uh, I think that the, the Diversity Alliance is, is, is what they've done really positively is they've brought awareness to, uh, to some of the issues in respect to, to what's going on in the game of hockey. Uh, and, and so... I think from that, it's really positive. I think the NHL is going to is move forward. I mean, I look at the Jets organization now just with what they got going on with their hockey academies and a lot of the mm -hmm. diversity and how they're trying to in include, and, you know, this inclusion with, with sports in general and different cultures. I think they're really on the cutting edge of what, what the NHL is hoping to go for in a lot of communities. So uh, kudos to the Jets for being the front runners in that. And, 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 and so I, I think, the awareness side is fantastic. The educational side is fantastic. I mean, I, I'm not really big on uh, pointing fingers and, and 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 you know pointing blame to people. I mean, it's a it's a thing that we all have to grow uh, together with. We all have to learn and 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 try to get better at this and 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 help players understand what this is all about. Uh, it doesn't matter what your skin color. Uh, what's your diversity, what your culture is. Let's try to be respectful and understand uh, what we're all trying to do here. And, and, and that's sort of my take on it. I mean, good they brought the awareness. Hopefully the mm -hmm. NHL jumps on, jumps on it and, and does more with it. Uh, the game itself today, Ray, what, what are your thoughts on it? There are, there are many directions we can go with it, but when you watch hockey today, what, what do you like and what don't you like? Oh, I think it's an incredibly entertaining game. I, I I always find it fascinating. They're always trying to look for ways to make the game better, and <laughs> and I just go, wow, it, it's a it's a pretty fantastic game. I mean, their their uh, their overall uh, 
you know, when you see the players, the games, the teams, the, the, the parity in the league, the, the skill level of players, uh, I mean, there's just so many positives to the, to the game on the ice and, and how they're, how the players are playing it. And, and, you know, look, the coaching and, and it's just so many aspects of the game. It's, it's such a big business today from when we played. I mean, it, it's changed tremendously. Uh, but the one one common denominator we have with the players that play today is we all had a dream to play in the NHL. We all had a dream to play at the highest level we could play, and and we all achieved that. And and uh, you know from that standpoint, it's great. I, I don't think we 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 quite trade as well as the players do today. And uh, we did a lot of things that uh, players that we did a lot of things differently than players do today. But uh, I think the game is fantastic. I think. Uh, overall, uh, they're, they're doing a lot of great things. You just have to get a few of these challenges they're having with, with diversity and, and, and mm. some of that stuff figured out. And, and I think, uh, you know, they got a great product. They really do. If I understand you were talking with the league the other day, um, do you have ideas of how they can be more inclusive at this time, Ray? Or uh, do you have any other like, suggestions to make it better, a better game for everybody? Well, I think at the at the younger level, I mean, it's it's there's a lot there. I mean, you you know, it's an education right across the board from, you know, owners and how they receive some of this stuff to 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 fans and how they want to treat players. I mean, some of my experiences yeah. back in the day were from fans more than anything, you know. Yeah. And then of course, uh, of course, the youth and and I think there's respect amongst players. That's not the issue. But how do we make it better? I think just education. I think uh, I look at coaches at the, at younger levels maybe that uh, that don't understand some of this stuff and all this inclusion. And how do we how do we educate them better to to make feel make players at all levels feel more comfortable in their environment and, and more safe in their environment. If, if you can even use that word safe, uh, I think, uh, just the support, I mean, you know, it's a different generation today. Everything happens so quickly with social media and everything. And so we really have to be sensitive to the ways that we can educate, train in a positive way all the time. Somebody's always watching. So you, you really have to be on your toes with that. And, uh, and, and so I think supporting, I mean, when I talked to Reggie Leach the other day, I mean, he said something to me that I thought was really, really, really interesting is, is uh, indigenous kids coming to communities off their communities and in, into play on a team. And, and sometimes they, it's such a big culture shock for them. They're not comfortable with it. So how, how do we as coaches or as people, managers, organizations, uh, better equip those players coming in? How do we support them better? How do we help understand what they're feeling? Um, you know, that, that's something I think is, is a, is a huge thing because when I coached, I know players would come, they'd participate, but they'd miss home. There was nothing familiar and, and mm -hmm. they'd want to head back to where they were comfortable. So, I mean, that's a big part of it, I think is, is helping them, uh, you know, through supporting and, and, and just listening and trying to help build that trust. Uh, trust that they need to be to be able to know they're in a good place and good environment and they can play to the level that that they need to play at to be able to stay there that that's the thing i think a lot of people forget especially junior hockey age players is they're even though they're in the spotlight they're still kids and a lot of people a lot of kids that come to the national hockey league 
18, 19, 20, still kids. Is it amazing right. to you still how quickly people forget that they're still little, they're still kids at heart? Well, they are. And, and there's lots of, uh, you know, that's a great, great uh, thought, Jamie, because when you really think about it, not every situation, like, uh, when kids come into the National Hockey League, they're, they're from so many different backgrounds and, 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 and yeah. their upbringing can be so different, right? So, um, you know, so, so I think that from that standpoint, yeah, I mean, you know, one parent might bring a kid up this way, the next kid brings them up that way or parent brings them up that way. And, and so you don't really know. Well, I know the NHL does a lot of their homework today on, on those types of things, but, uh, yeah. but just how that player uh, comes in, what type of maturity they are, have they seen many of these things that they're going to see? And I always like it. How do you teach kids to be a pro when they're 18 years old? I mean, uh, you know, you look at Blake Wheeler, he's such an incredible guy and such a fantastic role model and such a great player. And, you know, uh, he had to learn that as he, uh, you know, throughout the years and how to handle himself as a pro. And I think with the younger players today, that that's that's something that how, how do we teach them better to 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 be mm -hmm. able to understand what that means at, at 18 years old? It, it's it's huge, and their upbringing has a lot to do with that for sure. Some come in ready and they handle themselves fantastic, and you know, others uh, struggle with it for sure. So I I, I don't know. That's that's a it's an interesting uh, question for sure. I mean, as a coach, you, you're, you're busy. I mean, there, you have to have support as a coach too, to give the kids what they need. Like you, you're busy trying to win games at the same time while trying to help boys mature into men. That's, that's a lot of pressure on a coach as well and a coaching staff. Well, it really is. And, and I think, uh, yeah, there, there's. I'm sure there's lots at the pro level that they have to work at, but maybe at the younger levels. I know in the Manitoba Junior League. I mean, Don Gilbert, when I coached with him and with the Winnipeg Blues, I mean, uh, he was really in touch with his players and, and you know gave them the time that they needed if there's anything they needed to talk about. But I think that's where your yeah, your assistant coaches can come in and, and and help support that. But also, you know, Don brought in uh, you know. Um, a chaplain to work with the players and, and, and just to be there as, as uh, a go between, if you will. And, and if the players were struggling with different things and, and so these, these types of people can really have an impact. I mean, I look at Lauren Carroll with, with what he does with the bombers, what he does with the jets and their organization and, and just the freedom the players have to come and talk in confidence to Lauren, I think is, is, is really terrific. And, and so chapel programs are, fantastic I think for players and and certainly in one aspect of supporting players in another way and that's certainly a big one without a doubt Ray I, I I'm you know we haven't had many conversations but I feel like I could talk with you for hours but uh, <laughs> um, I appreciate I appreciate you stopping by um, thank you so much for doing this and uh, stay safe yes you too thank you Jamie I appreciate you taking the time and invite me to, to do this. I, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Shop where the players shop. Jets Gear and TrueNorthShop.com are your authentic team stores. Make sure to stock up on all your favorite Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose merchandise today. Visit one of the five Jets Gear locations or shop online at TrueNorthShop.com.
Thank you so much to Ray for taking the time to chat with Jamie on those different topics. Well, uh, the Jets are getting back at it after four days off here, Paul. Uh, you know, the last handful of times that the Winnipeg Jets have gone into a game with a block of days off and just practice days, things haven't gone well for them. Uh, it's been a, a regular topic of conversation uh, with the media. How do the Winnipeg Jets guard against what they've you know, faced the last two times uh, coming off these longer breaks? Yeah, the last two times, the one coming out of the break and then Toronto, and then one coming out of the break and then Vancouver, both by far and admittedly through every player in that dressing room and the coaching staff, the two rather forgettable games the Winnipeg Jets have played this year, right? So whenever you have a problem, the first thing that you need to do is acknowledge that you have that problem in whatever it is, sports or life. And the Winnipeg Jets, after that Vancouver game, did a did a very good job of acknowledging the fact that they were not, I guess to say not prepared is not fair, but they just didn't handle that situation the right way. So now you start to look for solutions and alterations to that. So now that they know that this had kind of crept in for a second time and there's a trend, how do you break that trend? So I'll tell you this. In watching the last practice before the Toronto game, because they practiced in Winnipeg and then flew to Toronto and then played the next day, and then the same thing, the last practice before the Vancouver game at home here, I didn't like either one of those two practices. It didn't have the same pace and tempo and sort of quickness and speed to it. So leading up to the game on Tuesday against Calgary, the Jets will have a practice on Monday. They'll practice and fly. That will tell me tomorrow about certain alterations that they're trying to make to make sure that they can quicken that pace and have a, a much better start to the game than they did maybe against Vancouver or Toronto. So it comes down to practice for me. And if it's high-paced and an up-tempo practice, we know that this is where the coaches want to get them. And that's incumbent on the coaching staff to get those drills, to get those guys at that high-level pace, that quickness, and then the players will follow and carry that presumably into the next game. But they do know it's a problem. And I think they'll have the coaches try to help them. But then it's all about your own individual preparation to make sure that this doesn't happen thrice to this team and that they handle these breaks a little bit better. Because after you get past this one, truly, guys, you're not going to have another one of these in probably about four weeks. There is a bit of a section there. There's three or so days off in March. But it's a pretty heavy schedule after that. So you want to make sure that you come out of this one and really earn that series win over the Calgary Flames, especially with this venue change now going to Southern Alberta. But you don't want to repeat performance. And then you're asking or answering the same questions that the media are answering about every time you have a break. Because there are going to be some breaks along the way. You want to make sure that you utilize them for rest and rehabilitation. But you also want to make sure that when you get back to playing games, that you're hitting the ground running in the appropriate manner. Mitchell, as Paul mentioned there, the Winnipeg Jets taking on the Calgary Flames on Tuesday night. Uh, a bit of a busier week ahead coming up. Uh, obviously, two games against Ottawa to close out the week on Thursday and Saturday. You know, what do you expect for the week ahead? Obviously, I think there was a little bit of uh, bad blood, if you want to call it, in that final game against Calgary. I think everybody's sort of wondering when that was going to start. And then Ottawa, you know, the, the series against them wasn't the cleanest either. So I'm curious to see what your, what your thoughts are on uh, the next few games for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, uh, the Calgary flames, uh, you know, the, as the Jets put up uh, 
the offense that they did in that in the first three games against the Flames. It's not like they got much tighter defensively. I mean, they beat the Edmonton Oilers six to four on Saturday, so that was another uh, high scoring affair between the two the two sides. So curious to see if if Calgary tries to tighten some things up on Tuesday. Uh, when the Jets, you know, finish off that four consecutive game stretch against them. The one that I'm actually quite interested in is those um, those two games against the Ottawa Senators. That's going to start a five-game road trip uh, for Ottawa. And obviously the Jets kind of, you know, they, they swept the first mini-series against Ottawa last month. But the Senators kind of went through a real tough run of losses. Um, but then also beat the Montreal Canadiens on February 4th by a score of three to two. And Montreal is like second in the North. Like this is, and then it took everything the Canadians had to beat Ottawa on Saturday by a score of two to one. Now the Sens, you know, we'll, we'll see what kind of happens over the course of the back-to-back that they have against the Edmonton Oilers on Monday and Tuesday this week before they play the Jets. But the other thing that you're going to see with Ottawa that the Jets didn't see last time is Tim Stutzla. So that's a whole other curveball. Yes, he's a young guy. He's a rookie. Um, so that, but it still brings a whole other level of skill to the Senators that they didn't have uh, in that first three-game series. So that's that's going to be one that I'm going to keep an eye on. But like you guys were just talking about, the the coming back from the four-day break, uh, that first game that they're going to play against Calgary, especially on the road, that one uh, that one's got the big highlighter circle on it. Uh, not that I have a paper calendar anywhere but if i did <laughs> it would definitely you know full highlighter treatment right and circled yes many times <laughs> i will say one thing you know seeing that calgary was able to get past edmonton on saturday night uh put a smile on my face because i don't think i want to face the calgary flames on a on a three-game losing streak uh i i just feel like that's a hungry team and to get for them to get a win on saturday i think it'll, it'll make for you know a perhaps a more level-headed viewing experience uh, for myself <laughs> on Tuesday night. Uh, Paul, as our broadcaster here on the podcast, I have to ask, what did you think of the reverse retro jerseys? I know uh, from what I saw on Twitter, it seemed like a complete 180 in terms of mm-hmm. public perception of a sweater. So your thoughts? Well, uh, it's always interesting when guys ask a colorblind guy for his thoughts on <laughs> colors and jerseys. <laughs> I did What? I did so- not know that. Yeah, no, I, uh, I've i had a problem with colors, like not a green light or a red light. I can make that out, right? But sure. in in looking at that jersey, that gray sometimes looks kind of green to me, right? Like a lighter green. So I'm not real good with that stuff. Um, I defer to my wife or my kids. My kids, especially my youngest guy, seems to have more of an eye for that kind of stuff. But I will say this. I looked at the jersey when it first came out. And I looked at the, the critique of it as well through social media platforms. And there was a lot of people that thought that it needed some red in there to really go retro for the Winnipeg Jets. Well, it didn't include that. Or at least if it did, it wasn't to the satisfaction of what people felt that should have been a primary color. But in talking with Jamie during the broadcast and knowing that this reverse retro is going to happen again in March, in very early March, it looked a little bit more personified. It looked a little more real. It looked better on the players and being put through the paces of an actual game. So in saying that, that's probably why we got this 180 from the public opinion, Tyler, is because maybe people didn't like it when it was standing there with some sort of a model 
But once you put it on the players and it went up and down the ice and it looked real, then people could sort of say, yeah, this actually looks pretty good. So from my vantage point, not really being able to pick out the colors and, and have a true appreciation for it because of just some inability that I've been born with, I actually kind of liked it. It didn't bother me at all. And, you know, they're 1-0 in it, which I think is probably That's better the than thing. the Aviator jerseys. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Yeah, the interesting thing is it, it totally changes the perspective on something when, when you pick a W up in the, in the jersey. Uh, Mitchell, just your thoughts on, <laughs> on the jersey itself as well. Yeah, same thing. I was uh, probably similar to a lot of people where I, was, I took more of a wait-and-see approach with it. Um, I wanted to see it actually on the ice in-game action. And yeah, like I had kind of a similar reaction where I was just like, you know, they were going around in, in warm-up and I'm looking at it and I'm like, I really like that. And then I think the other thing for me is um, with any jersey, and I don't know, I think this was a, a lesson I learned way back when, but I always appreciate uh, jerseys where you can read the numbers on the back from from a distance. And that was that was probably the biggest thing with these ones is the, the numbers are very, they're vivid, they're very easy to tell from a distance. So whether you're, you know, watching a game from in the building, hopefully fans are able to get back in sooner than later, uh, or on TV, you're able to tell who's got the puck. Like with, with the Jets, I'm able to, with a lot of their skating strides, I'm able to kind of tell who it is. But sometimes, you know, whether it's the other team or whoever it is, um, I like to be able to see uh, the numbers and, and whatnot. So I think that's a big thing. But yeah, I like them. Long story short. Awesome. I like them too. And uh, we hope you enjoy this podcast as well. On behalf of myself, Tyler Escavel, 680T's Joe Paul Edmonds, and Jets TV's Mitchell Clinton. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great one. This is Big Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. For Jets news, videos, and more, head to winnipegjets.com. 